Hi, this is Edwin Crozier of the Franklin Church of Christ in Franklin, Tennessee. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. Today's lesson was presented to the Franklin Church on February 22, 2009. On the day that I presented this lesson, the heater in our auditorium wasn't working. It was extremely cold. So, instead of preaching in the entire lesson and leaving the brethren as ice cubes, I cut it into two parts. This is part one. By the way, did you know you can subscribe to these sermons in iTunes and let us send you a sermon each week? If you haven't done so yet, go to iTunes, search for the Franklin Church of Christ, and subscribe to our sermon podcast. Each week you'll be able to listen to lessons just like this one, in which we take a look at Ephesians chapter 4 and the unity God wants for his one body. So, open your Bible and get ready to study part one of The One Body. One of the defects that I sometimes have is the ability to open up Scripture and read it and notice how it applies to everybody else and all those situations out there. Instead of reading it the way God intended, and that is for how it applies to me. And one of the passages where I've done that, and I've done that in sermons, is the one that Don just read from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, and one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is above all, in all, and through all. And I've often preached from this passage, and we've often read it, and we've talked about the wickedness of denominationalism and all the denominations that are out there and those divisions. And there's certainly some application to the issue of all the division that's taking place in the religious world today. But the thing I can't help but recognize is that when Paul wrote this, there weren't any denominations. When Paul wrote this, he wasn't talking about denominations. He was talking about division as it existed within the local congregation at Ephesus. And while he was demonstrating and giving some of these, what we might call theoretical principles of the one universal body, he was actually applying this not to something broad, but rather to the local congregation at Ephesus and what they needed to do in order to be one body, in order to be united. Now, the part of the lesson that we're going to put off till next week is the part that talks about what we need to do to make sure that we have this one body kind of unity. The part that I want to talk about today, though, is, is just getting in our mind what this one body is. Understanding the, the principles that Paul gives of this universal body of Christ. We recognize in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18 that Jesus, as he was talking to his apostles, declared that he was going to build his church. Peter gave the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And Peter said, and Jesus responded to that, Upon this rock I will build my church. Singular. Not churches, plural. Church, singular. And that's what Christ built. And he did not build it in order to be divided, in order to have the sects and the division and the, uh, the denominations that are going on in the world today. That's not what he wanted. The thing, though, that we need to recognize is that despite this division, the one body still exists. Jesus wasn't saying, I'm going to set up one body and I hope you all don't mess it up. He, he's saying he's going to set up one body. And that one body is there. Don't misunderstand. That one body is not the collaboration of all those divisions or those denominations. 
Rather, that one body is something separate from the religious organizations that we can be a part of in this world. The one body is not made up of all the denominations together. And in fact, the one body is not made up of all the congregations together. The one body of Jesus Christ is made up of all the saved, of all time, of all places. It's made up of individual Christians that are brought together in that one universal body. We remember how the church began in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 47... In Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, the scripture there says that these new Christians were praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. As a person becomes saved, he is added to the number of the saved. He is added to the church that belongs to Christ. He is added to the, or she, is added to the body of Christ. Colossians talks about this. Paul points out in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13 that he has delivered us, the individuals, he's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. That kingdom is not made of of groups of people transferred. That kingdom is made of individuals who have been transferred out of the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. That is the body of Christ. And there is only one. And we need to understand this. We have to be part of that one body. It doesn't matter what other religious organizations we might be in. If we're not in that one body, we are not saved. We cannot say to ourselves, I'm a member of some local religious body, therefore I must be saved. Rather, we must be a part of that one universal body if we're going to be saved. Yes, Being a member of that one universal body, we also need to be a member of a local congregation that follows God's word and will. But what Paul is pointing out here is that there is one body. There is one body of the saved. There is one body that has been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if we want to be saved, we've got to be in that. And we can't just sit back and say, well, I go to a local church. I'm okay. We've got to make sure that we are a part of that one body. And then Paul proceeds in Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6, to provide us with six other qualifications that help us understand if we are part of that one body. And just very briefly, I want to share these with you, and we're going to be done today. Next week, we're going to come back and talk about how, as a congregation, we need to walk worthy of our calling so that we might make sure that, as a local group, we have that one body kind of unity that Paul is really talking about here with the Ephesian church. But the six qualifications of being a part of that one body, the very first thing that Paul says is that we need to be led by the one Spirit. There is but one Spirit, and we need to be led by Him. Romans chapter 8 and verse 14, and I'm just going to go through these quickly. If you have time to turn to them, that's fine. But Romans 8 and verse 14 talks about the fact that we need to be led by the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 talks about walking by the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 18 says that if we're led by the Spirit, we're no longer under law. And Galatians chapter 5 and verse 25 says that if we, we, that we need to walk by the Spirit, and of course we'll do that. If we do that, we'll bear the fruit of the Spirit. If we're being led by anything or anyone other than the one Spirit of God, then we're not a part of that one body. If we're led by the doctrines and creeds of men, then we're not a part of that one body. If we're led by our think-sos and our desires, then we're not a part 
of that one body. Then in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4, Paul points out that we must rest in the one hope of our calling. This is important because when he talks about this hope, there's actually context in Ephesians that talks a little bit more about that hope. So if you would, flip over to Ephesians 1 and verse 18. In Ephesians 1 and verse 18, he says, "...having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you." What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of the power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might? You might also flip over to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5, through 5, just so you can make this connection. I think this is pretty impressive. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3-5, through 5, notice three terms that are also used in this passage. Hope, inheritance, God's power. He says in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's our hope. The salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Our hope is of a resurrection into the glorious inheritance that has been purchased and reserved for us by the power of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you have some other hope, if your hope in your religion is the health and wealth gospel, if your hope is that I'm going to serve God and be wealthy, or I'm going to serve God and I'm going to be healthy, if that's your hope, then you don't have the one hope and you're not part of that one body. You're not, you're not coming together in that one body of the saved. This is the one hope of our calling, that we're looking forward to that salvation that will be revealed in the last time. And so we continue to serve God and pursue His will. The third thing, we must submit to the one Lord. Luke chapter 6 and verse 46 just very plainly says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? If we're not doing what Jesus says, it doesn't matter what else we're doing. We're not part of the one body. Jesus is our King. He is our ruler. And we need to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness if we want to be a part of His one body. The fourth thing that he points out is that we need to grow in the one faith. Jude chapter 1 and verse 3, Jude revealed to us that he wanted to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. That's the faith in which we need to grow. And I will point out that I say grow there. Because this faith is something in which we grow. There's not a single one of us today that has everything right and knows every issue and has all the answers. We're growing in that faith. But if we're growing in something else, if we're growing in some other faith, if we're growing in the faiths of men, if we're growing in the wisdom and doctrine of men, then we're not a part of that one body. We need to be growing in the faith that was once for all delivered for the saints. If anything else is where we're resting our belief and our trust, we're not part of that one body. Then Paul says to us that we need to enter through the one baptism. One baptism. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 is very clear. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, when Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, he told all the people who were listening, when they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? He said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
the salvation that the Holy Spirit has promised when we follow His lead. Repent and be baptized. We learn through the book of Acts that the baptism is that water baptism, immersion in water, <coughs> Excuse me, based upon our faith in Christ and the power of His working, raised to walk in the newness of life. When we pursue that, when we enter Christ's body, not some denomination, but Christ's body through that baptism. That's, that's the only way we can get into that body. If we've been baptized in some other way, other than immersion and for the remission of sins, then we're not in that body. If we haven't been baptized at all, we have not entered that body. There is one baptism and only one by which we come into the body of Christ. And it doesn't matter how religious we are. It doesn't matter how many religious organizations will allow us to be a member. If we have not been baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, we are not part of that body because there's only one way to enter the body, and that's through that one baptism. And finally, he says that there is one God and one Father over all, through all, and in all. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 6 talks about the fact that there are many kinds of various activities that each of us can do as we serve God, but there is one God that empowers us all to do that. If we're not worshiping that one God, if we're not empowering, empowered by and relying on that one God, if we're gaining our strength from something else, if we're gaining our hope from somewhere else, if we're relying on something else, we're not part of that one body. There is one body. And all of the divisions in the world haven't changed that. When we look visibly, it looks like there's all kinds of bodies, but there's not. There's only one. And it doesn't matter what religious bodies we are a part of. We had better be a part of this one body. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. And verse 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter if we're Jew or Gentile. God has one body for us. It doesn't matter if we're a man or a woman. God has one body for us. It doesn't matter what our socioeconomic class is. God has one body for us. It doesn't matter what our race is. God has one body for us. It doesn't matter what our education level is. God has one body for us. It doesn't matter what our background is. God has one body for us, and we had better be a part of that one body. Do not simply rest on being a member of a religious organization. And I'll say to us, let's not simply rest, as so many do, on being a member of a local congregation that has the word Church of Christ on their sign. There are people who can be even there and not be a part of the one body. It doesn't matter what other religious organizations we're a part of. If we're not a part of that one body, we're lost. Yes, as part of that one body, we need to make sure that the other organizations with which we affiliate are right with God. We need to be a part of a local congregation. But first and foremost, you need to make sure that you're following the lead of the one spirit, that you're resting in the hope of the one calling, that you're obeying and submitting to the one Lord, that you're growing in the one faith, that you've entered through the one baptism, that you're worshiping and being empowered by the one God and Father. No matter who you are, that's where you need to be. Next week, we're going to take a look at the one body kind of unity that is, that is referred to in those first couple of verses as it talks about humility and compassion and 
and gentleness and all those kinds of things. But today we're going to draw it to a close there. I hope that you can take a look at your own life and make sure that you're a part of the one body. I hope this lesson edified you and glorified God. Let's remember what we learned. If we want to be part of the one body, we must, one, be led by the one spirit. Two, rest in the one hope of our calling. Three, submit to the one Lord. Four, enter through the one baptism. Five, grow in the one faith. Six, worship and be empowered by the one God and Father who is above all, in all, and through all. If you have any questions about this lesson, or if you have spiritual needs or prayer requests, please feel free to call us at 615-794-2359. Or you may contact us through our website. That's franklinchurchofchrist.com. If you ever happen to be in the Middle Tennessee area, we would love to meet you face-to-face. We invite you to attend any of our assemblies or classes. You can find times and directions on our website. Again, that's at franklinchurchofchrist.com. Also, if you haven't already done so, don't forget to subscribe to our sermon podcast and have these sermons delivered right to your iPod every week. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. More importantly, may you richly bless God.